So we're going to answer the question, what is God's house? And we're going to answer it by answering three other questions. And these are three, the three points of my sermon today. First one is, what, what, what was God's house? What is now God's house? And what will be God's house? So the first question, what was God's house? And to answer that question, I'm going to answer another question. A lot of questions. There's a lot of questions in this series. Um, why do we need a house? Why does God have to have a house to begin with? What's the purpose of God having a house here on earth? Well, you have to go back to the beginning. When God created mankind, there was no need for him to have a house. There was no need for us to build him a church, to build him a temple or a tabernacle, because there wasn't sin. When he created Adam and Eve, he walked with them freely. We didn't have a sin nature. And so the garden was essentially his house. And just, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself right here. His house is his presence. His house is his presence. And so there was no need for a house because we walked freely with him. But when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam sinned, disobeyed God, and brought sin into the world, God could no longer live among us. If you remember, he, he said, we're going to have to um, kick them out of the garden so that they won't have access to the tree of life. And from that point forward, God would no longer have the same type of relationship that he had with Adam and Eve. And if mankind was to again have that type of relationship, then he would have to find a solution for the sin problem that, he, that Adam and Eve brought upon themselves. Ultimately, what is the solution to our sin problem? It's okay. Jesus. Again, Jesus is always a good answer to, the, to a question. <laughs> Even if it's the wrong one, it's always a good answer. But before Jesus was born, God brought a couple of solutions uh, to the issue of not being close to him. And they were the tabernacle and the temple. The first one is the tabernacle. I think we have a picture of the tabernacle up here. Um, it's also called the tent of meeting and the sanctuary. Um, I, so those are just a couple different words. Uh, it was comprised of a lot of different components. There were, um, there were curtains. There were different pieces of furniture. Back here, the most important part of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, and it contained the Ark of Covenant, which had the presence of God. Exodus 25 verse 8 says this, and this is Moses, God telling Moses how to build the Ark, or instructing Moses. Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Sanctuary, another word for tabernacle. He says, exactly as I have shown you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Verse 8 again. He says, I want you to make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. I'm actually going to read this passage again next week because we're going to, and we'll read a few more verses because it's going to talk about who's supposed to build the tabernacle and how they're supposed to build it. The tabernacle was a portable tent that housed God's presence. And again, it, it contained a lot of different pieces, the furniture, it, the, the post to hang up the, the, the curtains of the tent. But God instructed the Israelites, and it was, it was meant to be portable because God um, was moved, because when they were in the wilderness, they would move from place to place. And whenever they would set up the tent, the, there were 12 tribes. The 12 tribes were to encamp around the tabernacle. God wanted to, 
to be in their midst, in the very middle. It's the same thing today. God doesn't just want to be a, an accessory to our life. He doesn't want to just live on the, the, uh, the peripheral sides of our life. He wants to live in the very middle. And, and that's where God instructed Moses to have the, the tabernacle built. And there was a whole process. Only the tribe of Levi, there were 12, there were, that's seven, but imagine I have another hand up. There were 12 tribes and only one tribe could carry the tabernacle, set it up, and even go into the tabernacle and offer certain offerings. Um, today, we are the priestly tribe. We are the tribe of Levi. The Bible says that we are all uh, pre- we are, we're, uh, priests. First uh, Peter 2 talks about that we are priests in his kingdom. So it's not just one priest anymore that has access to his presence. We all have access. The second place that God later instructed to be, to be built was the temple. It was basically a glorified tabernacle. It wasn't portable, um, but it was permanent in one place, as you can tell. At the, at the very back, you can again see the Holy of Holies, which, which housed the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God. Why did they build a temple? Well, David, King David, years later after the tabernacle had already been constructed and had been around for a while, David said, David said to the Lord, he said, Lord, I live in a palace, and it's, and it's ornate, it's beautiful, it's very expensive. I don't think it's right that you should live in a tent when I live in a beautiful palace. So I'm going to build you a place where your presence can, can live. God sent Nathan and said, David, I love your heart. I love that you want to build me a, a beautiful place to live, even though I didn't ask you to do this. However, you're not going to build it. Your son is going to build it. Look at 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. He said this to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Talking about Solomon. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So he said, so he tells David, hey, Solomon is going to build this temple and I'm going to establish it forever. But if you remember from the introduction, there was a condition God has made a promise to us. He made a promise to David and actually to every Israelite and Jewish person that lived in the Old Testament. He made a promise to them that if you will live for me, if you obey my commandments, if you will keep my rules and follow me carefully, I will bless you forever. But if you forsake me and disobey me, he said, I'm going to leave you. And that's exactly what happened. This temple was destroyed um, just a couple hundred years later by the Babylonians. Even though God made a promise, it was conditional. He said, if you will hold on to me, I promise you, I will never leave you. And so, but he still made the promise. And it's important for us that if we follow the Lord, he will keep his promises. And even then, sometimes he still keeps his promises. Even the word says, when we are faithless, he is faithful. So when you hear in the Old Testament, when you hear about people saying, I'm gonna, I want to go, you read this a lot in the Psalms. I want to go to God's house. I want to dwell in your house. It's talking about the tabernacle or the temple. And it's important to understand that before Jesus came, um, God didn't live in us or among us the way that he does now. He was, his presence would sometimes come upon people like Samson. You remember Samson well, was a very strong individual. It's not because he had a lot of muscles. He, didn't, he wasn't built like The Rock or Arnold Schwarzenegger, whoever else. Um, he was a man that probably looked just like any of us, but the Holy Spirit would come upon him and would give him supernatural strength. 
But then the, whole, the Spirit would leave. The Holy Spirit would leave. It would come upon people, but he would leave. However, when Jesus came and was baptized, and you can read this in John 1 later, the, 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 John records that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and remained. Jesus was the first person in history that the Holy Spirit came down upon and didn't leave. And because we follow Jesus, we also have that privilege. But in the Old Testament, again, the believers, if they wanted to come near to God, they had to offer sacrifices. They had to, they had to bring different, there were many, many, if you read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there were many different types of sacrifices that they had to offer to come near to God and to have their sins atoned for. And even then, only one tribe could come near to God in his presence, and that was the tribe of Levi. So that was God's house. Number two, point number two, what is now God's house? So God's presence used to be house in the tabernacle. What happened? Very simply, Jesus came. How many of you are glad that Jesus came? Amen. I don't have time to explain it. I really encourage you to go read Hebrews. Hebrews is a great book explaining the transition from the old law to the new law, the old covenant to the new covenant, and what Jesus did as our high priest. Especially Hebrews 8 through 10, but all of Hebrews really explains this well. When Jesus died on the cross, he satisfied the legal requirement needed to atone for or to take away our sin and therefore restore our relationship with God. I don't know if you can go back, I wasn't planning on doing this, but if you can go back to either of the slides of the pictures of the tab- tabernacle or temple. Um, this, this, cur- this, uh, this was a curtain, a very thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest. This, this part was called the Holy Place, and it had uh, the table of showbread and the candlestick. Uh, the golden candlestick, and we actually went through this a couple years ago, talking about the significance. Um, this curtain separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go into the holy, the holiest, holy of holies, and even a certain priest could come in here. But this curtain separated, only one man could go into that place, and it was just once a year. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that when he gave up his spirit, the curtain Split in two. I'm going to read it because this is really powerful. Matthew 27, verse 50. And this is at the very end of the crucifixion. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. It means he, he died. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that from the top, Jesus, the, the Father, split the curtain in half and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Why was it split in two? Because it symbolized, not just symbolized, it became a reality that God's presence could again live with man because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That is worth celebrating. That our relationship with him was restored. It was restored. For thousands of years, mankind could not have that relationship with God because of Adam and Eve's sin. But because Jesus came, and this is honestly so hard for us to comprehend because we live in this new period called grace. We don't know what it means to be separated from God. We can be kind of away from Him. We can, we can sin and disobey Him, but His presence is still with us. And it's because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. After the resurrection, watch this, I'm, I'm getting to... 
what his house looks like now. After the resurrection, Jesus gave the apostles the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read this. John 20, verse 19. His presence lived in a tent before or in a temple before, but we're about to see what the new house is going to be. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Verse 20. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 22, here we go. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It was at this point... When Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them, that God's presence no longer resided in a building or a box, but now in people. This was the first time in history that he didn't just live in a building, live in a tent, but that he lived in people. Listen, God lives on the inside of you. What is God's house? You are. I am. We are the house of God. You are the house of God. You host His presence. I'm going to ask you this question. Is He pleased to live in His temple, to live in His house? You are the house of God. We are the house of God. You are the house of God individually, and we are the house of God corporately. Look at these verses. First Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as what? A spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, you are stones in this building, You are the house of God, but you're also part of the corporate house of God, the church of God, and you're being built up. Why? So that you can offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We no longer have to go to a a building to offer sacrifices within yourself. You can offer sacrifices to the Lord. Let me tell you, the sacrifice He loves most is obedience. When you do things that you don't want to do, and trust me, the past... Five months have been week after week doing things that I don't want to do. But I promise you, those are the sacrifices. He's not looking for you just to come in and fill a chair, to fill a seat, and just be, be part of a number on a Sunday morning. He's looking for wholehearted obedience. The Bible says in Romans 12 verse 1, um, Appeal to, you through, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to offer yourselves up as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if though, it says, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's another, it's another way of saying offering sacrifices. It says, let those who suffer. I just want to remind you that if you are a believer, you're going to suffer. I think 
the, I, I think especially in modern day Christianity, what it means to live for God has been misre- misrepresented big time. We, we promise, hey, God's going to make your life better. And trust me, even sacrificing to him, your life becomes better, but it is not easy. And I like to say this from time to time. But if it is not a struggle to follow Jesus, you're probably not doing it right. Because your flesh is alive daily. And it hurts daily to surrender. But I promise, as you surrender to him, he, he gives you his life in return for your life. First Peter 2, verse, for, for First Peter, sorry, First Timothy 3, 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. He said he's writing to Timothy so that he can teach his followers how one ought to behave in God's house. Another way to say household. God's house, which is the church of the living God. What is the house of God? The church of God is the house of God. It's the same thing. We are both the church of God and the house of God corporately and individually. And I put that at the end of, at the, end of the, the statement for a reason because I remember one time I was working out and I was talking about church and, and this guy, he had strong beliefs in, in God and, and his version of following God. And he said, well, I don't go to church because I am the church. And I remember when I heard that, I thought, well, he's not wrong, but I feel like he's missing something. And later the Lord said, yeah, he's right in the sense that he is the church, the house of God, because he houses God's presence. But he is also at the same time corporately, corporately one of the stones in God's house. Meaning, yes, you can host God's presence at home and you can pray and all of us should be praying every day. We should all be going to the Lord and and, 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 and offering up these sacrifices. But the Word of God commands us to come together corporately. You cannot be the house of God. Watch this. We're, we're the body of Christ, right? My finger, let's just say I'm this one finger. My finger cannot exist without the rest of my body. You cannot exist without the rest of the body of Christ. And I say this because a lot of us say, well, I don't need church I am the church. I don't, you know, I don't need to go to church. People only say that because they've been hurt by church. A pastor's hurt them. A brother or sister has hurt them. They only say that because they're not surrendered. They're just lazy. Well, I don't want to get up to go to church. You know, I'm, it's okay. God understands. Yes, God understands how lazy we can be. Yes, this is why he sent Jesus. Or we say it because we have pride. Watch this, because we don't think we need others. Listen, I need you. I feel like I know the Lord pretty well. I feel like I'm, I'm a fairly strong believer, but I cannot make it by myself. We all need one another. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider, he says, I love this. He says, let us plan. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some believers. Last passage, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with blotter or worthlessness or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Watch this. I wanted to highlight this verse. What agreement has the temple of God 
with idols. I love this. He says, you are the temple of God. He says, for we are the temple of the living God. He says, your house was created to house the presence of God, not to house your lustful idols. What do you live for? Do you live for your job? Or you say, well, I'm, I'm going to work so I can provide for my family. Is your family your idol? Are your kids your idol? Is your ambition your idol? He says, what agreement has the temple of God? You are the temple of God with these different idols. It shouldn't be so. I'm not saying we shouldn't focus on those other things or have those other things as part of our life. But our primary passion should be that, God, you live in me. You live among me when we come together on Sunday morning. We come together for small groups. I don't want these other idols to take precedence over you. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, and he's telling us, go out from among, from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, from these idols and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I'm going to ask you again, is Jesus happy living in his house? Are there some things, some idols, some, some people that, and it, the, I'm not saying to not be in the world and to, and to have ungodly friends or to, um, to separate yourself from people that don't know the Lord. What he is saying is, who are you joining yourself to? And a, a way that I like to describe this is, who do you let in your inner circle? Who do, you let, who do you let speak into your life? Let me just tell you, you should not have unbelievers speaking into your life. They may have some wise things to say, but it's not coming from the Spirit. If it's not coming from the Spirit, then you don't need it. Be in the world, but don't be of the world. Who speaks into your life? Don't have any agreement with them. Okay, That's it. that is what God's house is now. Last point, what will be God's house? What will be God's house? Well, one day, if you're a believer and you've been going to church for any length of time, you know this. One day, if you know the Lord, we're going to go be with Him. When we go to be with Him, there's not going to be need, a need for a temple or for our bodies to house His presence because we will live in His presence. Revelation 21 verse 1 says this. I love this whole chapter. This is a, a beautiful passage about heaven. This is John. The Apostle John, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, watch this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let me tell you, this is the thing that, is, uh, that is characterizes heaven. It's his presence, and when we are in his presence, he takes away pain, he takes away tears, he takes away mourning, because there's not sin anymore. Sin brings pain, sin brings death. But because he has taken sin away because of Jesus' sacrifice, we're not going to live in sin anymore. Therefore, he's going to take away these things forever. Verse 22, And I saw, watch this, no temple in the city, 
For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That is something to get excited about. That is something to get excited about, church. One day we're going to go to a place that there's not going to be need for a temple. There's not going to be need for offerings or sacrifices because Jesus, when he made that sacrifice, he ended the sacrifices once and for all. We're going to be in his presence forever. John 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. What will one day be God's house? Well, God has always existed in heaven, but as it relates to us, our future home will be with him in heaven. And for the believer, our home, the place where we feel safe, feel secure, is always where God is. Isn't that what home is? The place you feel secure? The place you feel safe? The place where you can, where you can be yourself? For the believer, our home is his presence. This is why I love our vision. And this is not a vision that I came up with. The Lord just kind of gave me these words at the very beginning one day. had no idea what it would mean. But we don't just know about Jesus. We know him. We don't just read about what he said a long time ago. We can hear his voice. God is not just a God that wants to be appeased or wants sacrifices offered up to him. He is a God that desires to be known. This is why during worship we spent time just being in his presence and, just, and not really worried about whether the, the song was loud or whether it was the right song that we wanted. We say, Lord, we want to offer up this praise to you because we want you to come near to us. We want to live among you. We want to hear your voice. Again, heaven is not heaven because there are pleasures waiting for us. Heaven is heaven because his presence is there. God has taken us back to the garden. It's a beautiful thing that, that we're going to see. How can we become part of God's house? We ever talked about the different ways? Very simply, through belief in Jesus' sacrifice. I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to close. Romans 3.21. I love this passage. This is the passage that I go to to explain what Jesus did on the cross for us and how we benefit from it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from the sacrifices, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, talk about it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Watch this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He said it's not the sacrifices that the Old Testament law talked about. Remember, in the, in, according to the old way of coming to him, the old house, you had to bring sacrifices. There was the Day of Atonement that happened once a year. The high priest had to bring it. He said, not anymore. Verse 24, again, and are justified by his grace. We're justified. We're made right. We have that relationship with him again by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God the Father put forward as a propitiation By his blood, watch this, to be received by faith. What he's saying is, when we receive by faith 
that Jesus paid the price needed to redeem us. When we receive it by faith, it is propitiation for us. It is a sacrifice that we can hold on to. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him, in Jesus. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. So it only took one man to bring us righteousness, right? Standing with God through Jesus. Are you part of God's house? Does God live inside of you? Next week, we're going to talk about how to build God's house. Very practically what that looks like. Spending time with him, coming together throughout the week. How we are to build it biblically. But before we get to that point, you have to determine, are you God's house? Do you want to be God's house? And I'm going to take it a step further. Maybe you do. Maybe you are. um, You are a believer. You trust in the Lord. But the next question is, how pleased is he to live in your house? Here's another question. Does he live in every room in your house? Is he welcome into every room in your house? When we come to the Lord and we accept him as our Savior, what we do is we let him through the door, which is great. He's, that he, his, this, our, our, our temple now belongs to him. But our Christian life is about this process of continually inviting him into locked doors in our house, into closets in our house, places that we've closed that we don't let anyone into. It's about inviting them in and saying, Holy Spirit, would you reveal different areas of my life that you're not Lord in? Maybe areas that I've hidden, doors I've locked, places that I've, that I've, that I've been hurt in, and inviting him to come in and be Lord of that area. Are you God's house? And is he welcome into every place in your house?